This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. What do military combat veterans find when they return home? One Army veteran says they face another battle they never trained for. Nobody trains us or prepares us that we're equipped and educated to the extent that we can effectively fight and win this battle and this war we fight at home after returning home from combat. Then, ever worried about your chance of getting serious heart disease? We'll talk with a medical doctor and heart expert who has a plan to help prevent heart attacks, stroke, and diabetes. You can halt arterial disease People just need to understand that it's inflammation that drives arterial disease. Those two stories and much more are coming your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Stick around. Our show gets underway right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Our next guest is a military veteran who says returning combat vets face another battle at home, one they never trained for. With the story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. We're talking with Brian Fleming. He served as a U.S. Army Infantry Sergeant in Afghanistan and is now the co-author of a book called Redeployed, How Combat Veterans Can Fight the Battle Within and Win the War at Home. Brian, we read about the high suicide rate for veterans, and most everyone has at least heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. How serious of a problem is all of this today? Well, according to a lot of the most recent estimates from the Department of Veteran Affairs, they're saying that the suicide rate among male veterans under the age of 30 rose by 44% between 2009 and 2011. And overall, two young veterans, men or women, and 22 veterans of all ages take their own lives every single day. We're trained to fight and win wars and to fight well and to do well, and we do extremely well when we do. But nobody trains us or prepares us in the way that we feel is necessary, my co-author and I, that we're equipped and educated to the extent that we can effectively fight and win this battle and this war we fight at home after returning home from combat within our families and our personal lives. And he and I are both combat veterans from Afghanistan. I was combat wounded, blown up twice, second time by a suicide bomber who exploded three feet away from me in Kandahar. Chad, my co-author, he was a Force Recon Marine. He did some work with SOCOM over in Afghanistan. He went over eight times, had serious PTSD issues, and we've worked through a lot of those things. And the book is about how we did it and the conclusions we came to that helped us. The macho mentality of many military people makes it kind of hard to ask for help, doesn't it? It does, because you never want to be that guy. You don't want to admit that you need help because there's that alpha male syndrome that we have, especially in the world of infantry where I come from. But here's what I tell guys. You know, you can talk to a guy and he says, hey, man, I'm doing great. Everything's great in life, and he puts on a good face and a good show. Yet so often you meet a guy who says that, and his wife has left him, and his kids hate him, and he's not dealing with the issues that either are or will destroy his family. Maybe they are destroying his family, yet he says he has it all together, and he says, oh, I can handle it. Well, clearly you can't handle it if he's driving everybody who cares about you away from you and is destroying your life. And so, I mean, that comes down to really not shooting yourself in the foot. It's called a gut check, a reality check, and manning up just man up to it and recognize it if it's an issue and deal with it. Do you think doctors over-prescribe medication when they're attempting to treat PTSD? (laughs) In my personal experience, absolutely. I'm not saying that's true of everybody, but in my experience, yes. From my personal time after I was injured, 
and stories of friends of mine. I mean, I got a buddy who's 26 years old, and he was taking 23, 24 pills a day for PTSD alone. Mm. Within six months, all his teeth fell out. So, you know, now he had a whole new set of problems. It is overprescribed. I, I think a lot of doctors do care, but I think it comes down to that method of practice, that they're practicing medicine. <laughs> it's an ongoing process. You know, they'll try everything, and then they'll counteract something, and then they'll try something else, and they're just really just trying stuff, and you get in this vicious cycle of one drug counteracting another, and then a third drug counteracting the second. And if you stop taking them all, who knows, based on what you're taking, you could actually die if you just stop taking it. I mean, there's a time for medicine, but it's a temporary time. You know, it wasn't meant to work and last forever. Can you describe, maybe give us some examples of some of the things that do work other than medicine, maybe in your case or in cases that you've been aware of? Oh, absolutely. We know the same chemicals in your brain that are released to make you feel good, the oxytocin, the serotonin, the chemicals that your brain naturally produces and releases that make you feel good. There are other ways to get those released into your body without taking a pill that's going to be accompanied with side effects. For example, I know when I ride motorcycles, I relax. If I'm stressed, I go on a bike ride because it relaxes me. My co-author, he's a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a cage fighter. He has three or four Gracie jiu-jitsu gyms all over the country, and he'll get in there and he'll roll around and do MMA stuff with guys because it's a physical workout and it releases all those things and he feels better after doing that. And so that's one way that I do it. That's one way that he does it. Physical activity is great. Being involved in like jujitsu, that's one of his primary classes that he teaches for veterans for free in many cases to get them involved in that because it's healing through jujitsu. Our guest on InfoTrack is Brian Fleming. He's a U.S. Army combat veteran who served in Afghanistan and is now the co-author of a book called Redeployed, How Combat Veterans Can Fight the Battle Within and Win the War at Home. And we're discussing post-traumatic stress syndrome and some of the other major challenges that veterans face when they return home. Brian, there's been a push to remove the word disorder and simply call it post-traumatic stress. Do you think that potential change just in the name would be important? I think it is important, but I'll preface it by saying if you're a doctor listening to this, I understand why it's classified as a disorder, every reason under the sun, because I have a lot of friends who are doctors who have explained it to me, and I understand that. But the way I take the word disorder is kind of like this. If you have children, and every time you see them, if you tell them they're stupid, they're going to grow up thinking what? They're stupid. If you see a guy who comes back from war, he's dealing with some issues and he knows it, and you keep telling him he's disordered, which implies he's disorderly, obviously. It implies he's weird or awkward. He's somehow not normal. I mean, over time, people tend to believe that, well, that isn't helping the situation. And so it's a fine line between the textbook definition and the perception of how the word disorder is received. Post-traumatic stress is a perfectly normal response to a set of abnormal circumstances. You know, define normal by your society and your usual surroundings. So if somebody goes through something that is somewhat traumatic and they have post-traumatic stress afterwards, they're not disordered, so to speak. They're normal. They're responding in a normal manner to a set of abnormal circumstances. So to really say that they're disordered and with all the implications that come with that is very inaccurate. Brian, if I am a family member and I have a loved one, maybe a husband, wife, son, daughter, who is returning from combat, is there anything that I can do to help to ease that transition? Be there for them. Sometimes they'll lash out because, you know, a situation reminds them of something. Or We all do that, by the way. It's not just combat veterans, but sometimes we'll see something or hear something or somebody will say something that just triggers something inside of us and just you know care about them. Love them, care about them, be there for them. 
Obviously, if it turns abusive, you need to get away from it. That is the case sometimes, not just with veterans, though. That's with anybody. But when you're there for somebody and you're not pressuring them to say anything, but, you know, if you can get them around other people who have been over there, too, yet they've come back from that and they've moved on productively in life, that's one of the best things I think you can do. Because, you know, we want to be around other guys who are over there. The only problem is some of those guys end up hanging around in bars all the time and they don't go anywhere in life. Well, who you hang around is obviously who you become like. So if you can find somebody who you think that veteran in your life would relate to, and it's a person maybe who's had some success, or they've, you can see they've moved beyond some things, and you could even reach out and say, hey, you know, I'd love to connect you with, you know, whoever it is in your life. You know, he's dealing with some stuff, and I think you could relate if you're willing. Most people are willing. It's pretty amazing the credibility of having been over there, you know, to any extent, and being able to talk to somebody, especially if you did the same job. And so that helps open up, too. Brian, final question. What do you think is the biggest misconception among the public about PTSD and today's returning vets? I think it's the lack of knowledge. The American people aren't really informed, I don't feel. I heard somebody say one time, America's not at war. The military is at war. America's at the mall. And I think that's the case in a lot of ways. But I think it's just the awareness. People think, you know, they hear about a, a shooting in a naval yard or the shooting at Fort Hood. And all of a sudden, that's all they hear, and then they go back to their lives, and all of a sudden they think, can I even talk to a veteran? Can I even talk to a military person? Or are they crazy? Are they these you know, crazy whack jobs who are going to hurt somebody, that they're dangerous? And that's a big part of what I do, just to try and help raise that awareness, because I tell you, you get veterans on your side, on your team, whether it's in your organization or in your business, you get that man or woman steered, aimed in the right direction, they can be one of the greatest assets you have ever crossed because they know how to fight and they know how to win, and they have the desire to. They've had to do it to survive, literally. Brian Fleming, combat veteran and the co-author of a book called Redeployed, How Combat Veterans Can Fight the Battle Within and Win the War at Home. Brian, do you have a website where people can learn more? Yes, my website is simple. It's blownupguy.com. And if you can't remember it, just remember I'm one of those guys who got blown up. So it's blownupguy.com. Well, thank you very much for your service to our country, and thanks for spending some time with us here on InfoTrack. It's been my privilege. Thank you for your support. God bless you guys. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, worried about your chances of having a heart attack? You're not alone. A top doc has a plan to help you. Coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Have you ever worried about your odds of getting serious heart disease? You're not alone. It's our nation's number one killer. Understanding the major risk factors can help you prevent heart disease, even if it runs in your family. Joining us to talk about this is Bradley Bale, who is a medical doctor and co-author of Beat the Heart Attack Gene, the revolutionary plan to prevent heart disease, strokes, and diabetes. Dr. Bale, let's start at the beginning. What exactly causes a heart attack to happen? A heart attack results when the blood clot forms in the hole that transports the blood in the artery, and that blood clot forms because there was underlying cholesterol collection in the wall of the artery, and the inside lining of the artery got inflamed enough that it cracked or broke in some manner. And as soon as that happens, 
the body responds to that injury just like if you cut your skin. So platelets are immediately attracted to that break in the surface to form a scab or a blood clot on it. And then the blood clot can get big enough to totally block the flow of blood. Now, how can we get an idea of our risk for heart disease? Does that require medical testing? Yes, that requires some testing that people can get an idea if they should go in for testing. We have risk factors, for example, if the person has rheumatoid arthritis, we know their risk of a heart attack is equivalent to somebody who's already had a heart attack. Or maybe a person has gout. Well, when you have gout, you're at high risk for being pre-diabetic or what we call resistant to insulin. And that actually is the biggest cause of arterial disease, being pre-diabetic. Or maybe the person has a family history of heart attacks or strokes or even type 2 diabetes. There are certainly individuals that should go in for a thorough evaluation. And we have a lot of other things people can do at home, for example, to test to see if they have what we call metabolic syndrome. So men, if they're Caucasian, it's over 40 inches. That's a check mark. Women, if it's over 35 inches, Mm -hmm. it's one strike. And then if the blood sugar is 100 when you're fasting or higher, that's another strike. And if the blood pressure is 130 over 85 or you're being treated for high blood pressure, that's a strike. So that would be three strikes you're out. All of these factors, how can they be managed? Is it diet? Is it medication? Is it exercise? What are the typical things a doctor would tell someone with these risk factors? Lifestyle is always the number one way to reduce risk of heart attack and stroke. And a lot of the underlying problems that are driving arterial disease need optimal lifestyle management. For example, if you're headed for diabetes, the trump card, so to speak, to not get there to prevent it is exercise. So what you weigh is important, what you eat is important, not to go on to diabetes, but number one is exercise. So if somebody realized they were headed for diabetes, they had, say, this metabolic syndrome, They definitely need to exercise seven days a week. There are no days off. That's one of the best things to reduce the risk of going on to diabetes. Another reason people get arterial disease is oral disease, periodontal disease, or dental caries. So their lifestyle course is very important to prevent periodontal disease or dental caries and Some of the ways you can do that, of course, are not only brushing the teeth several times a day and always before you go to bed, but to floss or use the water picks that are out now or the air picks, see a dentist at least twice a year, and then try to maintain alkalinity to your saliva. When the saliva is acidic, you're much more likely to get breakdown of the enamel and expose yourself to potential dental caries. So xylitol is a natural sugar that helps alkalinize the saliva. But bottom line, lifestyle and included in lifestyle are things like 
hey, if you like music, you need to listen to music you love at least half an hour a day. That dilates your arteries as much as an aerobic workout. And then sleep, I would classify that as a lifestyle issue. People need to get a minimum of six and really a maximum of about eight hours of good sleep each night. So the quality of sleep does matter. So there are lots of lifestyle issues that really even go beyond the basics of exercise and diet. We're talking on InfoTrack with Bradley Bale, a medical doctor and co-author of Beat the Heart Attack Gene. Dr. Bale, if someone is diagnosed with heart disease, that is not a death sentence, correct? It's possible to recover and become healthy again, isn't it? Yes, you can halt arterial disease in any individual. People just need to understand, including a lot of healthcare providers that don't quite get it yet. I'm afraid that it's inflammation that drives arterial disease, inflammation of the artery that initiates the disease process, causes the progression of arterial disease, and ends up causing the heart attacks and the ischemic-type strokes. So to halt disease, you have to do a comprehensive assessment in each patient to find out what issues are causing inflammation in their arteries, and there are many potential reasons. It's way beyond cholesterol. Cholesterol is one issue that can inflame the artery. But obviously, smoking nicotine can inflame the artery. Again, periodontal disease can inflame it. Endodontic disease, if you have inflammatory diseases like psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus erythematosus, poor sleep can inflame it, a poor diet, etc. So you have to evaluate for all the reasons you can have inflammation and then optimally manage any issues that are uncovered the fire, so to speak, will be extinguished in the artery. When you extinguish the fire, the inflammation in the artery, our bodies are marvelous. <laughs> the disease will heal. It will stabilize. In some cases, it will even regress. But absolutely, everybody can stop their active arterial disease. And we strongly believe there's no reason anybody has to have a heart attack or an ischemic stroke. It's all preventable. The book is Beat the Heart Attack Gene, the revolutionary plan to prevent heart disease, stroke, and diabetes. And Bradley Bale, MD, is the co-author. And you can also visit their website at beattheheartattackgene.com. Dr. Bale, thank you so much for joining us today on InfoTrack. Well, thank you, Chris. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.